Christian and his friend Hopeful are discouraged as the path to the celestial city becomes very difficult. And they decide to take another seemingly easier path um, to the celestial city. And it goes through Bypath Meadow. But soon they realize that they are lost and a storm moves in and they have to take shelter for the night. They find shelter and fall asleep not knowing that they are on the property of the giant despair. And the giant finds them in the morning and he takes them back to Doubting Castle where they're thrown into a dungeon and beaten by the giant. And the giant tells Christian and hopeful that the only way out is to kill themselves. He's going to continue this pattern of of torture. And their condition is so miserable that uh, Christian actually considers taking the giant's advice, but Hopeful encourages him to persevere. And after uh, several days in the dungeon, we, we read this dialogue between them. On Saturday, about midnight, they began to pray and continued in prayer till almost break of day. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, break out into this passionate speech. What a fool, quoth he, am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom, called promise, that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said, Hopeful, that is good news, good brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try. So, this key, the promises of God, opens the door of the dungeon, and the pilgrims escape Doubting Castle and the giant despair and find their way back to the king's way and resume their journey to the celestial city. You notice in this allegory that Christian is not alone in his pilgrimage. There's faithful, hopeful, evangelist, the interpreter. These people represent the fact that Christians are not solo travelers on our earthly journey. There are brothers and sisters around us in the body of Christ that encourage us on the way to heaven. I think we experience that here in Koinonia, just as we encourage each other, bear each other's burdens. They help us not lose hope by reminding us of what the Lord has promised in his word. When we are plagued by doubt and despair, they point us to Jesus and remind us of his promises and his care for his sheep. And so we need each other. We need the body of Christ on this journey. American culture holds up the ideal of the rugged individualist. The, the Marlboro Man is kind of the, the caricature of, of the person who lives a solitary life and doesn't need anyone else to get by. But God ordained that the Christian life uh, would not be lived this way. He saved us and added us to his church. The help we get from the church comes in different contexts. We have discipleship relationships, counseling opportunities, working alongside each other in gospel ministry, but it also happens as we gather together for corporate worship. What we do when the church gathers, uh, the singing, praying, reading God's word publicly, listening to that word preached, all of that encourages us on the path of life. And it's critical that we have a biblical understanding of, of corporate worship and that we structure our lives in a way that prioritizes these times when the church gathers to worship. So we'll be looking this morning at Psalm 95. You can turn there in your Bibles.
it seemed to me that this actually fit well with with what we've been studying on Wednesday nights, uh, studying family worship, and uh, was convicted by that, how um, I have not made that a pattern in, in my home, and just uh, the motivation to start doing that. And part of that motivation um, that Michael laid out for us is just um, the worthiness of God's character. Just meditate on that and let that fuel our, our worship. But it seemed to me that family worship, um, if it's to be healthy, it, it, it helps fuel our corporate worship and healthy corporate worship will fuel our family worship. There's a harmony between the two. And what we learn in the corporate gathering can become the basis uh, and the motivation for our family worship during the week. Psalm 95 is in a section of the Psalter known as Book 4, and, and that covers Psalms 90 through 106. So to orient us to the overall layout and purpose of this um, songbook of Israel, the Psalms of Book 1 tend to be personal. Uh, you can think of uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the Psalms of uh, book 2 and 3 tend to be national in their focus. If you look at uh, Psalm 46, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And then finally, in the last two uh, books of the Psalter, books 4 and 5, they're primarily liturgical. And that they deal with the, the corporate worship of Israel and by extension, our corporate worship of God in the, in the church today. One author put it this way, It is a good thing for corporate worship to become part of the weekly routine of the Christian. However, the fact that worship becomes routine and regular tempts us to be distracted during worship and to go through the motions without putting much thought into it. Therefore, we must work as hard as we can to make sure that our hearts and minds are in our praise. So I hope that this psalm, Psalm 95, will, will be a help to you as it shows us the, the way to worship. Let's read it together. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. In Psalm 95, the psalmist gives us three markers of genuine worship that will take us all the way home. Three markers of genuine worship that will take us all the way home. The first mark is rejoicing before the king, verses 1 through 5. 
Second is reverence before our maker. We will see that in verses six through seven. And then um, responding to the word of God in verses seven, the last part of verse seven to verse 11. First of all, we see uh, in verses one and two, a call to worship. You see, it says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. This is uh, a loud procession of the redeemed that is a fitting expression of our love for God. See, there's an enthusiasm in the congregation as we call upon each other to rise to the occasion to worship our Savior and King. There's no place for apathy uh, or preoccupation with lesser things. This is a loud uh, praise to God. But why? what is the reason for it? Um, The reason for the worship we can see um, in verses 3 through 5 starts with the word for. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So this worship is not a forced worship. This is something that um, is based on the truth of who God is and what he has done. You'll remember... um, just the story of the nation of Israel, how they were surrounded by polytheism. There was idol worship everywhere. And so the psalmist uses the language of many gods to teach us something that is about something about the true God, that he is above all supreme over everything. He's a great God, a great king above all gods. Another thing that is Uh, highlighted here is the variety we see in creation from the depths of the seas to the tops of the highest mountains God holds it in his hands which speaks of his control over it all he owns it it's in his hands he has complete control not only in creation um, is it held in his hand but it is hand formed since he made it it all belongs to him You might say, like I did, well, you know, we're only a couple uh, verses in and I'm already in need of uh, repentance over my attitude towards corporate worship. And um, I understand how that goes. You might be here this morning not knowing exactly how you pulled it all together to get here. Um, kids who've, you know, lost their shoes or spilled their breakfast or, you know, um, a car ride to church that maybe is anything but edifying or uh, encouraging. But Um, I'm not saying this is easy, but our lives imitate our doctrine. And if we have an accurate view of who God is and what he is like, then our worship will be transformed. It will flow out of that. Um, But we must make it a priority. Um, If we have a few minutes at the end of class, um, I hope uh, to to just kind of lay out a game plan for corporate worship that I hope, hope will be helpful for you. But not only is the Lord uh, a great God, but he is also our God. Um, Let's look at verses 6 and 7 and the second marker of of genuine worship. Again, there's another call to worship. It says in verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So you see the... Reverence before our maker is the the second marker of um, genuine worship. Reverence before our maker. So the first call for worship uh, 
the first call to worship, I should say, called for loud adoration before the Lord. But now we're called to get low. Get low before him, our maker. We are a made people, just like God made Israel when he delivered them from Egypt. Jesus is building his church. And we are all here this morning because we were saved by God and added to the church. He is the maker of the church. And so we assume our rightful position publicly before the one who brought us into existence, which is to get low, to bow before him in worship. And that leads us to uh, the reason for worship in the beginning uh, part of verse 7. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So our kneeling before him is not the kneeling before a distant power, but it reflects the intimate fellowship we have with the one who not only made us, but provides for us. See the provision. It is um, the pasture he provides for us and the care he has for us. We are the sheep of his hand. He's guiding us with his hand. And now we'll come to uh, a change of tone in the psalm. It's pretty, pretty striking. The submission before our God now breaks the bounds of worship and must translate into an obedient life. In the last part of verse 7, through the end of the psalm, we notice the third marker of genuine worship, which is responding to the word of God. That's in the last part of verse 7 through the end of the chapter. It says, uh, today, if you would hear his voice. And that today tells us that this psalm is not only for Israel, but it's for us sitting here on July 10th of 2022. We know this because Hebrews 3 and 4 uses this psalm, Psalm 95, as a warning for the church against the danger of an evil and unbelieving heart that will prevent us from experiencing God's rest. If you would hear his voice, that could be translated as, oh, that you would obey his voice. Since the Hebrew word for hear comes with the idea of obedience. It's not merely hearing the sound waves bounce off your eardrum, but it is hearing with an attitude of obedience. What he says, I will do. And so it carries the idea of doing what God says. So those who truly hear God's voice, obey it. And I agree with the commentators that understand the direct quote from the Lord actually begins at verse 8. So if you could put the quote marks, um, I'm reading from the NASB. Um, I think the quote marks belong at the beginning of verse 8. This is a speech from the Lord. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. We're given the negative example from Israel uh, who didn't trust the Lord to meet their needs after their miraculous deliverance from Egypt. Um, Meribah was the um, episode in Numbers um, chapter 20. And uh, Massa is in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. It, they bookend kind of two episodes at the beginning of Israel's time in the wilderness and at the end, and they hadn't learned their lesson, uh, and they remained hard-hearted towards the Lord. And as a result of their testing and trying the Lord, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. It was a, a death march until the whole generation was killed off. And their wandering in the wilderness was a picture of the reality that they had strayed in their hearts and they had wandered far from the Lord. 
As a result, they did not enter the promised land, um, which here is described as God's rest. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13 shows us that for today, much more is at stake than a resting place on earth and, and peace from earthly enemies, but God's own eternal Sabbath rest um, with Christ is at stake. Derek Kidner uh, makes this comment just about the ending of the psalm, how, how striking it is. By ending on this note, the psalm sacrifices literary grace to moral urgency. If this is a psalm about worship, it could give no blunter indication that the heart of the matter is severely practical, nothing less than a bending of wills and a renewal of pilgrimage. So that's what we do in corporate worship. Our, our hearts are being conformed to the truth as we hear it um, and uh, take it throughout the week and communicate it to our family in family worship. It's um, driving home this, um, this theme that it's, it's not enough to hear the word or sing the word or um, go through the motions but it it translates into an obedient life a life conformed to the commandments of God so um, in our last few minutes uh, this morning I just want to talk about um, kind of a game plan for corporate worship Um, like I said often Sunday mornings seem to be the most difficult morning of the week and seems like you know the devil is is throwing everything at you to try and get you off course and uh, come with a, a bad attitude or distracted or thinking about things of the week and so um, hopefully these few points and and few texts from scripture will just be an encouragement to you um, to structure your your week around Sunday mornings getting getting ready for for corporate worship Matthew six thirty three says, uh, "But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." So here's just some imperatives for corporate worship. First of all, we must plan for it. Like I said, plan for corporate worship. Uh, the well known saying is, "If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time." So, uh, what are we aiming at? Well, 1 Corinthians uh, 6.20 gives us the target. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So how do we go about doing that? Also, 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So proper planning begins with the realization of who owns our time. Christ's blood was the payment for our redemption, and now as his slaves, our supreme purpose is to glorify God. A slave uh, does not keep his own schedule, but listens carefully to his master's instructions and carries them out diligently. So corporate worship should be our our number one priority as, as Christians. Evaluate your calendar in light of scripture. Are we seeking Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, righteousness above all? Or does our calendar reflect a dangerous love for the world that threatens to make us slaves of men? So uh, we can take some practical steps to prioritize corporate worship. Can we schedule our vacation so that Saturday is our travel day instead of Sunday? Is there another team my daughter can play for that doesn't have games on, on Sunday? Um, will my boss allow me to work an alternate schedule um, to free up um, 
my schedule for Sunday worship. Of course, there's going to be times when attendance is uh, impossible or inadvisable, uh, distance, illness, greater ministry opportunities. Um, The goal here is not perfect attendance, but perfect involvement. Um, If it is unavoidable that we are away from home on Sunday, look for another body of believers with whom we can worship. There's all kinds of good resources online, ninemarks.org or the Master's Seminary um, Alumni Tracker or um, talk to your pastors. They may know a faithful church in the area you're traveling to. So even if you have to be away for a Sunday, um, gather with God's body, uh, Christ's body, wherever, uh, wherever you are. Number two, not only do we have to plan for corporate worship, but prepare for corporate worship. Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Um, this verse tells us how we are to prepare for corporate worship. We must search our hearts for sin that hinders our worship and confess it before God. A.W. Tozer wrote, no worship is wholly pleasing to God until there is nothing in me displeasing to God. So we prepare our hearts by confessing any known sin, um, but we also have to prepare our minds. And we can do this by prayerfully uh, studying the sermon passage before it is presented. It's one of the great things about expository preaching. You know what's coming next, right? So you can get into Romans, read the next paragraph chapter and um, start preparing your hearts before you enter um, the sanctuary and if you don't know what's going to be taught ask the pastor you know ask the speaker what is he going to be preaching on that is a incredible encouragement to anybody that's ministering the word to have listeners who are actively looking forward to hearing hearing the message and also uh, try to eliminate any distractions that would get in Uh, in the way of a proper attitude towards worship. So get enough sleep so you're alert, eat a good breakfast, uh, get to church on time, etc. Just just the practical uh, things that can be so hard when you have little ones. But um, yeah, just like we've been been talking about, um, men take the lead in that, help help your wives get that squared away. Uh, Sunday morning, Saturday nights, we always said, you know, um, Sunday morning begins Saturday night, so pre- start pre- preparing then. And then, uh, thirdly, um, participate in corporate worship. So plan, prepare, and then participate. John four twenty four says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Philippians 3, 3, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory of and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So when you enter the worship service, consider why you are there. Do you come to worship God? He is the audience. Is your focus on communicating with him in prayer and song and hearing him speak through his word? Worshiping in spirit refers to adoration for God that flows out of the invisible reality of an obedient, regenerate heart. God desires and commands our worship, so um, be spiritually active in all aspects of the, of the service. 
if we have an accurate view of, of God and our own sinfulness apart from Christ, we will glory in the privilege of coming before his throne in prayer and receiving mercy and grace. You can follow John Wesley's um, instructions for singing hymns. Obviously, song is, is a, a, a big portion of, of our worship's time together. Um, John Wesley says this, Learn the songs first, sing them exactly, sing all, sing lustily, sing modestly, sing in time, above all, sing spiritually. And this is another uh, great use of family worship time is learning uh, hymns and, and psalms and spiritual songs that will make corporate worship time more enjoyable as a family. Um, if the kids know the songs, they will be better prepared to participate with the congregation. So that's one aspect of the, the family worship teaching that was um, really helpful um, that, that Bobby and, and Michael taught. Um, I'd never really thought of that component as a part of family worship. I was like, oh yeah, you, you know, you read the Bible and you pray, but singing, it's kind of like maybe, maybe I'm uncomfortable with that or whatever. But how true that is, that is a very critical part of, of our, our worship time and a great time to teach your kids the songs and so they can be active and, and joining together with the congregation as we sing. Also, um, become an expository listener. So that, that just means that we're listening for the meaning of the sermon passage and accepting that meaning as the main idea to be grasped. So uh, a notebook is a great tool just to outline the sermon, helps to develop our expository listening skills. And I think it's also a good opportunity just to develop material that we can share with our family during the week in, in family worship. So driving home the main point of the Sunday sermon uh, again and again throughout the week at um, if you're like me, you're like, well, you know, what are we going to talk about in, in family worship? Well, you have material given to you on Sunday. You can stretch that out over the course of the week and just, just hammer that home, those, those main points. And um, we'll be helping, helping your family in the process know how to listen in the following week because they're, they're in the flow of, of, that, of that passage. Um, I don't know about you, but repetition is a great help to my own heart, which is often slow to believe, so repeating it is is always good and then uh see the gospel in the ordinances of baptism and the lord's supper um it's one of my favorite times as we gather um as a body for for baptism in the lord's supper it's an opportunity for the church to experience god's word communicated in a tangible way uh, we taste the elements and we feel and observe the waters the word of god is powerful and when it is read, preached, sung, prayed, and displayed faithfully, it will change the hearer. So be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in worship and trust Christ alone for the power to obey his word, Philippians 4.13. And then lastly, um, practice a life of worship. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, uh, James 1.22 says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Psalm 34, 1. Our whole life is to be lived in as, as an expression of worship to God. Romans 12 uh, tells us that. And this can only be accomplished by taking up our cross daily, dying to self, and following Christ. 
how can we practically take the experience of Sunday morning and integrate it into our lives Monday through Saturday? Well, um, I think a good good place to start is before you leave church, start spiritual conversations and discuss the sermon with people in the service. Um, Set aside Sunday as a ministry day to meet others for lunch or invite them into your homes for discussion. Study your sermon notes throughout the week and put what you learned into practice. And if you have questions about the sermon, um, search the scriptures yourself and ask a more mature Christian for assistance. Your pastors, they have a desire to see you mature in Christ and would be encouraged to hear your comments and questions as you desire to understand God's word. Um, So by being intentional and implementing the sermon during the week, we become doers of the word, and this prevents us from becoming dull of hearing and increases our appetite for that solid food that makes mature disciples of, um, makes us mature disciples of Christ. Um, You can also um, uh, memorize a scripture verse selected from the text preached that week or find a biblical song or hymn related to the passage you're studying and sing to God in your time of private worship or family worship. Um, And again, teach these songs to your family um, and model a life of worship before them. And so... We saw in in Psalm 95 and just these few points that that worship really envelops our whole being. Um, It includes our intellect, but it's much more than an academic exercise. It's a relationship where we offer our adoration because of the love we have been shown. 1 John 4.19 and Ephesians 5.2 There is no room for pride because there is nothing in us that is deserving of such love. The only way to enjoy worship is to get ourselves out of the way and humbly look to Christ. Just like the old hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So our corporate worship is a rehearsal for heaven where we will worship Christ forever. If we don't enjoy the worship here, uh, I don't think we're going to where we think we are because that is what is we're going to do in heaven for eternity um, worship so let's do it with joy from a thankful heart every chance we get help those brothers and sisters who have gotten off the path who are tormented in doubting castle tell them they have the key to freedom the promises of god Encourage them to get back on the king's way and continue the journey until they reach God's eternal rest. We do that when we gather uh, for corporate worship and we um, just pour into these these relationships that we have all around us. Any questions or um, feedback? We just have a couple minutes before we close in prayer. Anything you guys have learned uh, in your years as Christians, just how to worship better as a family in corporate worship or any any questions comments
Yeah, there's all, all kinds of resources online where you can print those out. So yeah, get get the words in front of you so you don't forget forget what verse you're on. It's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is good. Oh, one thing we started uh, because of a book that I found actually that it was thought was a great idea is um, Sunday evenings over the dinner table, just asking the kids, going around and everybody says what they learned. Oh, that's good. Uh, either in Sunday school or right. in a sermon, and that's generated really good, good. discussion. Good. And they've come to expect it now, so it's, yeah. kind of, it's fun because they're paying attention more yeah. because they know we're going to ask the questions right. in the evening, and so it just yeah. helps. Good. Yeah, the uh, catechizing our children, that's kind of fallen out of favor. It was a, a practice in you know, Puritan um, times, and um, it's kind of been lost, and I don't think that's really a good thing. There's a lot of, um, well, several faithful um, catechisms out there, and so if you get your hands on a good one, um, then, uh, yeah, use it. Um, get get your kids uh, rehearsing those truths about God and um, planting that in their hearts. It's good. Anything else? All right, well, let me pray for us and I'll let you go. Father, we're just so, so thankful um, for your salvation, Lord, for your, your mercy to us. You've adopted us into your family, Lord, and now we enjoy fellowship with you uh, through Jesus Christ, Lord. Uh, You've given us your spirit um, as our helper, Lord. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Um, Thank you for my brothers and sisters and just what an encouragement they are to me. And uh, Lord, we were not meant to live this life alone, but you have designed it to... um, function as a body and so whatever part we play in that lord help us to um, stay healthy lord to keep a short account of sin so that we could be effective in your your church lord help us to uh, listen um, and participate and um, just worship you as you are worthy of of all worship lord Um, not get distracted by what's going on currently or what we have ahead this week, but just focus on uh, your greatness, um, your great love for us, and um, just look forward to spending eternity with you 
and this is just a small uh, taste of that, Lord. And so we pray for uh, Brian and all of those who will be involved in the service to come, that um, they would minister effectively, faithfully, and that uh, we would respond um, in heartfelt uh, worship, genuine worship, Lord. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.